How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. Welcome to Locked on Bucks, presented by BrewHoop.com. I'm Eric Name, and as always, I'm joined by Frank Madden and... We weren't really planning on recording a podcast tonight, but the Bucks decided to make a move. So here we are. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we've got the uh, red flashing light on uh, anytime there's an emergency pod. So we, we recorded, I think, four podcasts on Saturday, and then one or two of them now sound kind of weird because we were talking about the possibility of Miles Plumley being signed, not the actuality. So yeah. you guys are going to have to deal with that. But... Uh, I think it's worthwhile to uh, to kind of take stock of what the Plumley signing means, and I'm sure everybody who is an avid listener probably has heard. Uh, but just to recap, Miles Plumley, restricted free agent, had been kind of floating here the last couple of weeks as everybody else signed in free agency, and ended up signing today a four year deal worth 52 million dollars, so on average of 13 million dollars per season, which is of course uh, about $2 million more on average than what John Henson got as an extension last summer. And those deals now are basically um, going to be concurrent here moving forward, assuming they're both around. So uh, a big number. And uh, for a player that I think we both wanted the Bucks to bring back, thought would be valuable to bring back, especially with Greg Monroe's future remaining unsettled and likely not in Milwaukee in the long term. But uh, Eric, you had a, a, an obviously strong reaction to to the deal. So tell me a bit about how you felt about it when when you saw it come up today. And, and I don't think we've heard any kind of dramatic changes in the narrative here. There's no you know options or any weird stuff in the contract. Sort of is what it is. But uh, what what was your reaction to that deal when you heard it come through? Um, I just kind of thought back to I guess our free agent predictions podcast that we did before we hopped over here to Lockdown Bucks and. I just remember in that podcast us I think switching three years twenty seven million and three years thirty million as our predictions for Plumley and kind of what we thought he could be worth. Um I can't remember which way we went, but either way, nine to ten million for three years. And I remember thinking one thing we said was four year deals are kind of scary. That is a a strong commitment to a player. And I, I think we kind of had a similar critique of the Del Vadova deal when that one came through that, Hey, this is four years and you do have to worry if a player declines and you're on the hook for some money in that fourth year where it might not be worth it. And I, I guess I just kind of thought, all right, if the bucks are going to go for a fourth year, that means there should be some sort of deal that they receive uh, on the money end of it. If they're going to go four years, then it should be closer to $10 million, or, or maybe even lower than that. If you're going to give someone a guaranteed fourth year, maybe even it goes down to $9 million. And it was just looking at those center numbers, you had guys like Azili, Cole Aldrich, around seven-ish million per year. And then obviously you had the guys like Mozgov up there. And it it was just strange to see 
that middle ground where I think we both thought Plumlee would fall, not on the crazy high end of deals and not on the low end of deals. It was strange to see that number skew so close to the high end of deals. Um, just because when you think of Miles Plumlee, again, he was he was good after the All-Star break. Uh, those lineups with Giannis and Jabari were very good at times. And he did seem to be a, a difference maker, but at the same time, he's going to be 28 years old this year. He's been in the league four years now and I think just got over the 4,000-minute mark. And there's just not a large sample size of Miles Plumlee being a productive player. I know in his second year in Phoenix, he got a chance and did some things. And then in Milwaukee here in the second half, he did some things. But it just seemed like, and and I know how the cap is changing. Like uh, We're all well-versed on a new cap, so I I don't really want to hear that justification given for it. I just was surprised that his performance the second half of this season got him this big of a deal. It, it just didn't really add up to me. Yeah, and I think you can imagine what it would be like if you're Mark Bartlestein, who's had some uh, very big contracts, more, more so during the Larry Harris era. Uh, he represented Bobby Simmons, Mo Williams, and Charlie Bell, kind of in that uh, fateful 2005 to 2007 range when uh, uh, he kind of took the bucks to the cleaners and I hope Larry Harris gets uh, uh, a drink for free every time he sees uh, Mark Bartlestein at this point. But um, it, it you can sort of see how Mark Bartlestein would go into the negotiation like this and say, okay, well, you know, Timothy Mozgov got 16, Jan Mahimi got 16, and Biombo got, what did he get, 17 million or something like that from the Magic and all those guys got four-year deals and they're uh especially Mozgov and, and Mahimi kind of in the late twenties, similar age range. You know, Biombo's younger, but you know, he's whatever got to some age questions, but he he's younger than Plumley as well. And then on the flip side you can say, well he you know, even if he's not as good as those guys, uh he fits really well with the Bucks what the Bucks do. He was the most efficient rim finisher or uh, sorry, pick and roll finisher uh in the league last year, one point four four points per possession um, in pick and rolls. That was slightly better than DeAndre Jordan even. So, again, as you said, he fit in really well. I mean, I don't know how many times he slipped the screen at the top from Giannis and and threw down a dunk in the second half of the season. They had really good chemistry. Jabari and and Plumlee seemed to have really good chemistry. And I think they just broadly like him as a player. He obviously didn't play much in the first half of the season, just kind of stayed in his lane and waited for his opportunity and then played well when when he did get a chance and averaged around 20 minutes per game in the second half of the season. So, yeah, I mean, you could go in and as his agent make the case that, well, he's at least in between uh, what those other guys got and let's say some of the guys you mentioned, you know, Cole Aldrich, three years, 22, Azili, two years, I think 15. Uh, So if you pick a midpoint between those, you know, you get to 12 or $13 million dollars. But, you know, as you said and as you alluded to, this is, you know, partly a, a debate about the economics and the relative valuations of players. But there's also just the kind of question of leverage and, and how much money uh, was out there for Miles Plumley if the Bucks didn't give this to him, right? And I think in our minds, as we were talking before, for agency started, certainly uh, from a value standpoint, you know, part of the, the thinking that I had was, well, his qualifying offer is $3 million, okay? So he can take a $3 million qualifying offer this year, become an unrestricted free agent next year when the cap will be higher, but, you know, not 
they're not quite as big of a leap as we've seen this year. And then go get paid something, right? But at that point, he'll be going into his age 29 season. So who knows what his market will be. And then I think, you know, after a couple weeks here, uh, I think the interesting question is what was his backup plan if, if he didn't resign with the Bucks? And, you know, a team, there aren't many teams out there that have cap space. You can bet the Sixers were not interested in adding, you know, a fifth, <laughs> a fifth center to their roster. Uh, I don't know if the, the, the Brooklyn Nets would have been interested. Uh, they have some big guys already, obviously, on the roster, including Brooke Lopez. Um, but, you know, so, so I think that's a question. What, what was his fallback if he didn't sign this with the Bucks? And obviously, from a, a negotiating standpoint, that's sort of probably what, what, I look at and struggle with the most is, you know, if you offered Miles Plumley nine years or nine or sorry, nine million or ten million over three years, for instance, is he getting a better deal than that? Is he actually going to take the qualifying offer rather than lock up that money after really not making anywhere close to that over his first four years in the NBA? I don't think he would. Um, so you obviously worry that, you know, from a leverage and negotiating standpoint, the Bucks could have done better and, you know, they didn't. But that's that's probably the difficult part, and obviously, uh, when you look at it now, um, you know the number is what it is, and the Bucks now have still <laughs> three uh, pretty solid, but not great or uh, clearly starting caliber centers on the roster. I mean, I think Greg Monroe is starting caliber, but just doesn't fit well in Milwaukee. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Eric, for you, does this change anything, uh, or do you feel like we're still sort of in the same spot as far as the Bucks rotations and how all that stuff will probably play out? Oh man, that's a great question. It's really tough to try to figure out because if you look at this team and you look at the amount guys are getting paid, well, it kind of all falls into line. Greg Monroe still making the most of the center position. So, one would assume that he would start some games and Miles Plumlee is now making a little bit more than John Henson. So maybe that means he's a little bit higher in the depth chart. And look at that. John Henson finds himself third in the center rotation. Uh, one would have believed that. Uh, but <laughs> you just look at it and I don't necessarily know that it explains anything. I don't think it's a signal for anything. Um, I know I saw a lot of people say after this was done that, oh, this must mean they have a Monroe deal set up. This must mean that they believe Plumley's the starter. This must mean that they believe in Henson and Plumley. And uh, that just seems to be extrapolating quite a bit from, I'm not going to say an insignificant move. Anytime you give someone $52 million, it, it is significant, but it was kind of an, a move that I think we all assumed was going to happen. I don't think any of us thought Plumlee was going to go anywhere else this off season. So I would, I would assume this doesn't do anything to the Greg Monroe trade market. And if anything, it probably hurts it because uh, teams know, I mean, if they didn't already know, which would be shocking that the Bucks are trying to unload Greg Monroe. Well, it's certainly obvious at this point. So it's a, it's a lot of money to be spending on a center position to not have a very good center. <laughs> and again, we can all argue whether or not Plumlee, Henson, and Monroe flash elite-type center numbers in any certain category at any certain time in the season. But on the whole, they're not very good centers. They're, they, they could be above average at times. 
and maybe they are just average, but man, it's it's strange to see so much money spent on a position that I'm not going to say doesn't matter in the league anymore, but it's mattering less and less by the day. Yeah, and the number we're talking about, so this coming season, $42.4 million uh, locked up in in three centers who each have kind of diff- bring different things to the table. Obviously, Henson is the best shot blocker, in theory, the best rim protector of of that group. Miles Plumlee is kind of the best, probably, offensive complement to Giannis Adetokounmpo, Jabari Parker, and Chris Middleton. Uh, you know, no, he doesn't stretch the floor, but... I think what he does as a rim roller and as an athlete and an offensive rebounder, the Bucks' best offensive rebounder last year, I think those are, are important skills that, you know, when you look at the numbers that those lineups put up after the All-Star break, uh, they were very good. You know, uh, Plumlee was with those three guys, was a plus five points per 100 over the full course of the season. Numbers before early in the season were, were not great and he didn't play that much uh, with any lineup, to be honest. Uh, but then after the All-Star break, playing with those four guys or three guys, uh, his lineups were plus 10 and they averaged under 100 points per 100 possessions allowed. So that's good defense, right? So, And again, you can kind of question the small sample size theater issue there. Um, but you know, you have to imagine that, that the Bucks were banking on that pretty heavily when they you know, were thinking about what they wanted to pay Miles Plumlee. So I think the interesting thing is if you want to try to connect the dots here – uh, certainly, as you mentioned, uh, this does nothing to dispel the idea that that Greg Monroe is is not long for Milwaukee. Uh, it's a little bit interesting a situation because it, it feels like you know they have way too much money invested in centers right now. But if they just let's say dump Monroe for a guy who's not a big man, then you might think, well, maybe they're now a little <laughs> shallow at, yeah. at center uh, because then you know you're basically spending time with Plumlee and Henson, which I would be fine with to be honest. Um, I think. It, there's value in you know just having guys who stay in their lane, kind of stay out of the way, uh, can do things without you know needing the ball, and neither one you know was going to pout if they don't start. So you can kind of just make it a meritocracy and let whoever plays better play more. Uh, and then I do like the fact that you might be able to sneak in some Thon Maker small ball kind of centerish minutes or Giannis small ball centerish minutes somewhere. Uh, but if either Plumlee or Henson goes down, then suddenly it does feel like you're you're very thin at the big spot. So then you'd almost want to you know add another big guy just to kind of balance things out. So it's, it it leaves the Bucks definitely in a weird spot, and it will be interesting to see what happens next uh, as far as Monroe. And I think the other piece of this too, and just sort of thinking longer term, you know, I, I just am a bit skeptical that Plumlee at that number is an asset two years from now. Um, you know, Henson, because he's younger and his deal is declining, you know, his deal is going to be under 10 million by 2019, 2020. And I mean, who knows what John Henson is going to be like by then, but he's still going to be basically the same age that, that Plumlee is now, um, or a little bit older. Uh, so you're getting Henson kind of through his clear athletic prime versus Plumlee. You're getting it at the kind of tail end, which as you said, athletically is, a little concerning uh, and would make you certainly prefer a shorter deal. I mean, I would have really liked a two or three year deal for Plumlee, but you know, they obviously wanted to reward him and uh, I guess credit Mark Barlstein for getting a good deal for his client, especially given uh, what we're not clear of as far as having him having other, other really nice options available to him. Um, And so I think long-term though as well, you know, 
I sort of like the idea of, okay, if you get plumbing for two or three years, then in a two or three years, maybe Thon Maker weighs 15 to 20 more pounds and you can play him at center more. Maybe he's not a pure center, but you can play him at center more. And, and then he can kind of take over for that. But obviously, if you've got Plumley locked up making $13 million the next four years, then um, all that becomes a bit tougher to figure out. So I don't know. I mean, we were talking before the podcast. Obviously, the Mon- moving Monroe is the obvious one, but um, we, we've talked in the past about the possibility of moving John Henson. Uh, I mean, is that something that you think is is feasible or possible or now makes more sense maybe than it did previously? Yeah, it might make more sense. It's been something that since the Plumley deal has kind of just been bouncing around in my head. Um, I just think if there is no market for Monroe, which I think we all feel pretty confident saying, or if not no market, at least very little market or a limited market or a market that's going to return something that'll make the Bucks unhappy, that... Uh, again, uh, it's something I kind of jokingly tweeted about this afternoon, but this entire off season, I've had ideas for, and, and even into the end of last season, I've had ideas for the center that the Bucks could bring in, that they could bring in this center and they could bring in that center. And the whole time, I knew that it was pretty likely that the three guys that they have were all going to be back the following year. And I, I guess that just kind of speaks to what I think of those three that in my mind I've thought, man, it'd be kind of cool to start over at the center position, but, uh, <laughs> well, that, and, and I'll admit, I mean, I, I obviously talked a lot about, well, we both talked a lot about drafting Deontay Davis in part because yeah. we thought he could give you, I mean, I don't think he would start at center in year one, but he's a guy who could be a backup center pretty early in his yep. career and give you some depth there and allow you some more flexibility to to move, especially a guy like Henson, right? Because if you drafted a young shot blocking big man, then that would, you know, potentially fill the Henson role. And again, maybe Thonmaker becomes that guy. Maybe they trade John Henson in part um because let's say they see Thonmaker developing more quickly or whatever it might be. And I realize Thonmaker is not built right now to play major minutes at at the center position in the NBA, but I think, you know, again, if you're drafting him at 10, it's not because you think he's just going to be, you know, a, a power forward, which is the same position that, you know, Jabari Parker and Giannis Adetokounmpo currently are splitting. So Yeah, and I, um, think, I think it gets interesting, too, when you kind of think about everyone wants to trade away Monroe, which, uh, again, I completely understand. Um, but if you trade away Monroe, that's kind of a tacit commitment to Henson and Plumley. And both of them have, starting this year, four years on their deals. So that means you're kind of committing to those two for the next four years. Obviously, the NBA is a crazy place, and you can trade yeah, with anybody I, at any time. Yeah, I mean, but, I don't think I, – I think I think four years – I mean, I, I think you're, you're committing to them for next season in my book. And I think Plumley, you're tacitly saying we expect him to be a player for us maybe at least the next couple years because of that – likely difficulty in getting value for him when he's on the downside of this contract but I th- yeah i would say yeah. henson though is is certainly a guy that could be moved I, i'm I, not worried about them being able to move henson if they have to i guess either way you're ready penciling yourself in for a certain amount of money that you could move but you would have to make a move to remove said money from that position so if you move monroe then you have Henson and Plumley, and again, they can be moved, but again, who knows kind of how that all works and what you can get. So 
for me, it's kind of interesting to think, well, if you move Henson, then the only after this season, and again, I know most people don't want Monroe around again next season. And again, I don't think it makes a lot of sense if he'd be around again. But if there's no market for Monroe, but there is a market for Henson, maybe you move Henson, get in some of those other pieces, and then you just let the Monroe contract play out. I, I don't think anyone really thinks he's going to take that player option at the end of next year. And then all of a sudden next, next summer, you just have miles Plumley there. And that opens you up to the possibility of if there's a center out there that you like, you could sign him and he could start over Plumley. Or if there's a backup center that you like, you could sign him and he could be behind Plumley. So I don't know. It's just something that's been going around in my head that I think is interesting. Ultimately probably something that won't happen, but it's in my head nonetheless. Um, and it was just something I was thinking of. Yeah, and I think we we got a little bit there into a question that we got over the weekend from Pat Smoltz, who asked, is there any chance Monroe struggles again and actually opts into the third year? I would be surprised if that happens, because I, I think Greg Monroe realizes that this isn't a great fit for him, and you know I don't think it's anybody's fault per se. I think, you know again, the team tried to add a talented guy and hope that it would work out, and I, I t- totally understand that. I think you know Greg obviously thought that... Um, you know, he, he could maybe his defense could maybe be hidden a bit more than it was uh, in the Buck system, and that the young guys around him would be able to compensate for um, the losses of the veterans more quickly than obviously they were able to. But you know, obviously that didn't happen, and the Bucks obviously also have other options at the center position that you know we've just been discussing. So I think it does make sense to to move on, and I think Greg Monroe probably expects that to happen so i think it would be an interesting situation if he wasn't um you know i think we we both believe and this was a question that we we went over actually in a separate podcast we haven't run yet as far as who would start the most games i think we both agreed that greg monroe if he's on the roster presumably will start the most games because he's just sort of the most talented and kind of best known quantity and certainly if you want to if you think you can get anything in a trade for him next season uh you know it's not going to be because you you play him 20 minutes a game or something like that which doesn't preclude bringing him off the bench and playing him 25 to 28 off the bench which might be his best use but i think the politics of that just become really difficult on a on a young team that obviously you know it's not like he'd be coming off the bench behind a really established (laughs) player or for you know the good of a team that's trying to win 55 games and compete for a championship so i think it's just tougher to do and i think the other pieces tie up sort of the the whether monroe might opt into his deal keep in mind i mean greg monroe is the highest profile player ever to maybe him and Ben Gordon, who at once was actually thought of as a good player, but Ben Gordon and, and Monroe both turned down uh, big extensions to take qualifying offers. And that's very, very rare um, because you leave a ton of money on the table. And so Greg Monroe left a ton of money on the table in his last year in Detroit so that he could become an unrestricted free agent, which was again, a very unique situation for a guy as good as him to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, and you know, so he's bet on himself before he bet on himself by taking a shorter deal rather than trying to sign a four year contract. And so I think, you know, again, I think he sees that the fit isn't great and who knows, I think there's some universe in which things could maybe turn around a bit next year. But, uh, I think certainly from what we see now, I think the likelihood is that he would, um, you know, prefer to be elsewhere. And I think the bucks are trying to make that happen for both parties benefit. And they're just, you know, not willing to, uh, take a bad deal to do it. And so they're trying to be patient, but we'll see if, you know, something changes here over the 
next few weeks and, and, and if that becomes a possibility because I just think even if he's playing during next season, I mean, the odds of the market for him increasing as his contract gets closer and closer to expiring, I mean, it just doesn't seem very high. So it just seems like, especially given that he was productive last year, the team just wasn't that good. Um, it seems like your best value would be to try to move him this summer. But again, as we've said before, the va- you know, defining value in the NBA is is a very difficult thing. And you know, again, it's extremely localized, and oftentimes it's dependent on one team making a decision. And you know, it's it's not it's not by a league vote what a guy is worth. It's it's finding <laughs> one team. So. Um, and that's obviously right now that's that's been a challenge with Monroe. So I guess this is sort of telling that we're recording a podcast about Miles Plumley signing uh, a new contract with the Bucks, and we've spent very little of that time uh, talking about Miles Plumley. So I guess Frank, I get the question that has kind of plagued me for the entire second half of the season. Uh, I guess post All Star break and now this off season. Is Miles Plumley good? <laughs> I feel like we ask this question about all Buck centers. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, like it, especially if you frame it in the context of on the Bucks, right? I think you've got a guy like Miles Plumley who is has kind of a narrow skill set yeah. in terms of being, you know, again, an elite pick and roll finisher, phenomenal athlete, but obviously not. I mean, and and, and he can occasionally hit, you know, his little hook shots in the post and. He'll yeah. occasionally hit like a 10-footer. Um, but he's obviously not what you'd call a skill guy. And he's an energy guy. And, you know, I think I've mentioned the, you know, that he reminds me of sort of peak Dan Godzerich in a lot of ways. And I, I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but, but... maybe I'll mean that in a bad way uh, in a year or two <laughs> now that he's got his big contract. So, um, but he, he's obviously a guy who who sort of is a kind of, so so talent a specialist who just I think happens to fit well with what the Bucks need. Um, he'd fit even better if I think he was a more convincing defender. Um, I think Henson sort of similarly fits better than you know he he's a better fit than he is talent in some ways. Um, he's got some different issues I think just as far as like motor and consistency versus Plumley who's I think a pretty consistent motor guy but just you know not quite as as talented on both ends. And then you've got Monroe who obviously is I think in a generic sense, the most talented, but just doesn't fit well with what the Bucks are trying to do. So it's, it's definitely a frustrating kind of situation. And I think, or, you know, I think Steve made a joke on Twitter about how if you could combine all these guys into one player, you'd be great. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but unfortunately, you can only play really one at a time. They're all true centers. Plumlee and, and Henson, they played a little bit together at the end of last season, but I really don't buy that as a viable option given neither of those guys can shoot outside of 10 feet. So it's it's definitely a weird situation and you know you you don't want to hold all that stuff against Plumley because again I do think he's a very nice fit he plays well with those other guys I think he's a good guy Tr- you know you, you trust him as a as a player to do what what he can do um but it's definitely difficult to sort of look at him in isolation and not consider him in the broader context of the buck center position and you know certainly a little bit now as well with Thon Maker and you know what does a four-year Daryl Plumley mean for Thon Maker eventually getting some center minutes down the road as well. I've just been trying to comprehend how he can be as athletic as he is and block as many shots as he does, but then people shoot such a good percentage against him at the rim. And I, I guess I probably need to study more film, but like with with Henson, it's okay. He does block a lot of shots, and okay, maybe he gives up too many rebounds, whatever it may be. But 
everything adds up. Like when you go and look at opponents' rim percentage against him, it's high thirties, low forties. Like it's it's pretty regularly in a spot where you feel very comfortable. Like okay, yeah, he's he's an elite rim protector and. I think I looked up his post all-star opponent rim percentage and for Plumley it was like 50 something, um, which isn't necessarily the best thing. And <laughs> it, it is kind of a strange thing when a guy is blocking two plus shots per game. So I, I just, it's tough for me to reconcile what he, I guess what he does and what he is. <laughs> I, it's just, it's just tough for me to try to figure out if he's actually, a good defender because when I watch him play, I see a guy that's trying really hard. That's contesting a bunch of shots. That's running all over the floor. That's very athletic. And I think that's a good defender. But then when I look at the numbers and I look at the results of the plays where he's doing these things, I just don't think he's a good defender. So I agree with everything else that he's a great fit. He seems to get along well with these guys. Um, I know I've, mentioned on a couple occasions that he opens up a different part of the floor for Giannis and Jabari and that's everything eight feet and higher that they can throw passes up there and and Plumlee's going to finish it and I think that's very important for those two because they're not necessarily the most technically skilled passers at this point where if they need to thread a bounce pass to Greg Monroe on a pick and roll well it it might not go well but if they can just throw the ball up in the air and Plumlee can go get it well that makes their lives a lot easier so so I get all the fit things it's just again I I guess you're kind of right in saying it's kind of the curse of a buck center like are they are they actually any good are they doing their jobs does it all work and I guess for me it's always just so concerning to have a guy like that when there's as many questions as you have with Jabari's defense like I I think the big thing has always been all right if Jabari's gonna get on the floor his defense needs to improve and if it's not going to improve the Bucks need an elite defender at the center position and again it looks like Plumlee does a lot of those things but I just don't know if he does so I'm going to probably continue to struggle with this probably all of this season and maybe for all four years of this deal or however long Plumlee ends up sticking around in Milwaukee yeah, the interesting thing about Plumlee's defense is uh, I was looking at his his ESPN player page from last year, and it actually noted the year before last he was actually in the 97th percentile in rim defense, uh, 40.6% allowed. His block rate was in the league's top 7%. Um, so it's weird because his, his numbers have been kind of all over the place there. And Again, it reminds me a little of Godzarich, and I hate to keep making that comparison, but you know, kind of like an energy guy who's maybe um, better at sort of you know just doing high jump type blocks. Like you know, I mean, I just think of that play where Kevin Durant kind of went right at him one on one, and he just blocked him right at yep. the rim. Um, but maybe sort of the nuances of of defending uh, just just aren't aren't there. Um, you know, the kind of cerebral aspects of of defense just sort of aren't maybe there um, this, the way you'd want them to be. Uh, but again, I mean, part of the issue too has just been sample size. And, you know, yep. ultimately the, the Bucks did defend well when he played major minutes, um, you know, as a starter last year. So I think that's obviously, you know, an encouraging thing. And you just have to hope that, uh, that you know, again, some of these other numbers that we've seen in the past are more reflective of his defense and than maybe some of the, you know, some of the numbers you just quoted. So we'll see. Um, 
you know, again, I don't think it's a surprise that Miles Plumley is back. I don't think either of us has a, have any problem with the Bucks wanting to bring Miles Plumley back. Nope. Um, it's really just kind of the value piece of that equation that uh, you know do makes you does make you wonder: Could the Bucks have have done better contractually? Could they have gone shorter on the deal? Would that have been better? Um, and um, you know, all we can say is is we'll see which which way things go starting starting this season and um i think the only other thing i'd mention is that and, and again i not that we expected Plumley to sign a, you know a one-year deal or a qualifying offer deal but um this does you know put the bucks in a position where if they extend Giannis this summer to a max contract they're really not going to have any cap space going into next summer uh assuming that this 102 million dollar uh, projection on the cap actually comes true, which again it might not because we don't know what's going to happen with potential CBA renegotiations. But if you do have a hundred two million dollar cap, you've just signed you know, three guys to deals right around you know between ten and thirteen million dollars per year in, in Delavadova, Tamirza Toledovic, and Miles Plumley. And so putting that kind of long term salary on the books, it does kind of lock you in to a large extent with the roster you have. Um, obviously, Greg Monroe is going to come off the books next year, but you're going to be adding Giannis's max deal, uh, and you know the cap's not skyrocketing um, in perpetuity, which I think we've, we've mentioned a number of times. Next yeah. year, it's supposed to go up about eight million, and then um, you know, kind of modestly increasing thereafter. And you've got Jabari Parker that will hopefully be earning a, a max contract as well. So, uh, I mean, I said going into the summer, the Bucks don't really have, I don't think, the flexibility to sign a max guy going into the summer, and certainly with some of the you know the fact that they're not trying to um you know fill out the roster on a shoestring budget suggests to you that uh you know they have no intention of of trying to go after another big fish so uh they could you know again probably have maybe 20 million in cap space next summer if they if they defer a Giannis extension but I'd also kind of ask well what are they actually going to do with that because I don't think they I don't think they want to you know go near the luxury tax next year and I think ultimately this is a team that you know, when you look at the roster now, it's probably going to look very similar next year, with the exception of maybe Monroe and, and MCW. So, um, you know, again, they could have 13 guys under contract next summer, uh, and and be right around the cap, uh, including Giannis's extension. So, interesting to to keep an eye on. I think it does sort of speak to the uh, fact that the Bucks are are going all in on on the current core. Uh, for better or worse, right? Um, they're yeah. going to put the ball in Giannis's hands. They're going to build, put guys around those guys that can play off them. Um, and uh, you know, I think the the big, you know, question now is they've got 5.5 million in cap space, a 2.9 million dollar room exception. What do they do with that money? Do they move Greg Monroe? How does does that shake out for the rest of the summer? Um, you know, we've mentioned Steve Novak seems like an obvious guy to bring back as well, but um, but we will we will see presumably. In the next couple of weeks, we'll hopefully get a better sense of uh, of how those different pieces will uh, will play out. But um, until then, Eric, I don't know if you had anything else to add. No, I, I think one of the things I've been tweeting throughout this summer is that all these moves are great, all these moves are fine, and ultimately it's all kind of about internal development. That sure, on the margins, you want to win some of these moves, and today I, I didn't feel like the Plumley deal was a win at that at that price that I thought they could have maybe shaved a few million off and they're not winning on the margins but at it, for me at some point the margins don't really seem all that significant when compared to stars and whether or not your stars are actually stars so the Bucks are going to get prepared to 
offer Giannis a max sometime in the next year. They're going to sign Jabari to a max probably in the next year or so. So those guys got to perform. If they're going to get paid like max players, the only way for you to maximize the roster is if they're performing that way. So it's all on internal development at this point. And for a lot of people, I think that's that's very exciting. Um, I think it's certainly been something that people have wanted the, the team to be turned over to those two and just let them go free. But also very scary because uh, it's it's on those two and if those two can be great players this Bucks team can be good but if not well could get ugly in a hurry all right we'll leave it at that we've gone over 30 minutes uh our our, our search for brevity uh will occasionally stray uh <laughs> our our natural inclinations will occasionally kick in but we do appreciate you tuning in and listening for this emergency podcast uh, uh about miles Pumley, and uh we will have i guess now we've got three more podcasts to to load up this week hopefully all of them are still equally uh insightful given that we didn't know when we recorded them that miles Pumley was getting what he got but we did I assume feel, he was gonna, yeah I, we, I feel like I, still we did assume he was coming back so yeah. yeah so a big picture nothing's really changed um but certainly this uh provides a bit more clarity and and certainly reiterates uh, as we said a lot of things we were have been talking about all summer. So anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe via your favorite RSS. We're still podcast. in the top fifty. We're still, still in the top, top fifty. We were we were top thirty this morning, which was pretty pretty damn cool. We were right ahead of first take. Yeah, which felt like felt like I mean it won't That's last. A win. But, take that, but we, Stephen. A. We appreciate it. We we have to thank you guys for for writing nice reviews of us and and hitting the the subscribe button, and we we appreciate it a lot. And um, again, thanks so much for listening, and you will hear from us very very soon. Take care. Napa know how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99 cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know how. Napa know how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 103117.